Sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? everybody, DJ Nubis here with you. Port to Chaos episode 165 on the Metal Radio podcast. How you all fucking doing? Good, I hope. Gonna talk a little bit about some Pacific Rim, the Black Season 2 in this episode, as well as um, reviews for Titanic 666, which was recommended by Kevin Turan, one of our fans, for me to watch. So I've got a, a breakdown of that. Went out to see The Northman last night. Uh, starring Alexander Skarsgård, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Nicole Kidman. So I'll be reviewing that as well. And then I'm going to give uh, just a little bit of input on my favorite albums of 2022 a little bit. At the Well, we're not even at Midway yet, but 
close. We're close. Almost to July. Uh, so I'll be breaking that down a little bit with some of my favorite albums so far this year and just let you know what to look out for and what to check out. And of course, as always, brand new music coming your way uh, through promotional sites as well as stuff that just comes across my desk. Uh, some in the way of analepsy, new stuff in Unblind uh, Salvation, The Troops of Doom, Traitor, uh, A Beta Mass of Flesh, Disembodied, and much, much more. So we're going to go on and start kicking this shit off. First block of music. I do have some of that Blind Salvation as well as Analepsy, but we're going to kick off some brand new stuff from Mortal Hatred. Traditional Godzilla Violence.
Hi, this is Roger from No Moss. And also Ben from No Moss. Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. We are back. Got to talk a little bit about Pacific Rim: The Black Season Two. And uh, funny thing about s series in general, like one of my issues is it's not anything. It's like, it can be controlled or anything like that. But sometimes you get into these series, no matter what streaming platform it's on or whatever, and you know it takes a while for the next one. To to come around so by the time it does you've kind of forgotten what happened in the last season <clears throat> so I didn't go back and watch season one before the release of season two and uh, so when I saw the first episode called boy uh, while I remember the scene they opened up with I couldn't tell you how we got there <laughs> I vaguely remember anything from season one but uh, the cool thing is, once season two kind of started getting rolling, it all started to kind of come back to me. Like, things would start tipping me off. Okay, so we're dealing with a brother and sister from season one who whose parents were killed by uh, kaiju. If you're not familiar with Pacific Rim, uh, there's these kaiju that spring up and they destroy civilization. And in turn, humans have what they call Jaegers that are huge like transformer robots they don't really transform but they're just huge robots uh that they use to fight with now i was kind of browsing over this article by daniel uh, hart on readysteadycut.com and it's interesting because his feelings about the live action films there was two that were made before this animated series uh there was two that was made that i just wasn't crazy about like i didn't really like them and he's felt kind of the same way so even when I went into season one, I'm sure I had some reservations about whether or not I'd actually like it. With that said, I came out of season one definitely liking it, but I maybe a little bit indifferent. I was kind of like, okay, yeah, this is kind of cool. Uh, season two, though, which I didn't realize is the last season. I didn't know they were. I didn't realize they were going to cut it off after this season. But uh, the animation that's on Netflix right now for this series is much much better than the live-action films. Uh, as much as I wanted to like the live-action stuff, the actors and characters, despite Eldris Ilba being in the first one, are just very bland. Uh, the plot and the uh, storyline is fine. Like I, I, I can get into it, right? Uh, it's very interesting. And even when you have guys like Ron Perl, uh, Perlman show up, uh, you know, it gets you kind of excited, but then it's like, well, the movie movies just kind of fall flat. <clears throat> so, when it came to this animation, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but the cool thing is the storyline is much better, uh, the plot is much better, and really, if you would take this animation for these two seasons and make it into a live action, it would probably be far, far, far more enjoyable than what you see in the live action, the other two films. So, uh, and it's, it's because it's more intricate. It also has uh, a lot more emotions. Uh, the character development is a lot, lot better in the animation than it is in the actual uh, live-action films. And the animation itself is very uh, top-notch. It looks good. Uh, 
basically what we have in this series is, like I said, you have this brother and sister, Taylor and Haley, whose parents have died while trying to save them from a kaiju attack, because initially in season one, Taylor and Haley discover an old Jaeger that was used for uh, training purposes. It, it wasn't weaponized. It has, like, certain things it can do, like, it has, like, some sort of, like, uh, I don't know if it's a... Uh, shoots out like a, a long hook that I guess can use to climb or whatever. I don't I don't know what the initial object of that particular weapon was for, but it, it doesn't have like missiles like some of the other Jaegers had. So when it comes to fighting it's pretty limited. Um but again these these Jaegers are all dependent on the two humans that run them. So basically if you think back if you ever saw Godzilla versus Kong uh, how Sarazawa's uh, son was mentally and telepathically linking to King Ghidorah in order to run Mechagodzilla. Uh, so it's it's similar to that, where the brother and sister, or whoever is paired up, so you can have two different human beings, but they got to be in sync with their mental states to make the machine run fluently, uh, which is interesting. So, they find this training Jaeger, but in the process, it ends up drawing kaiju to them. Somehow, it's like a beacon for them to come, uh, whether they can sense it or whatever. So, what ends up happening is because they found this Jaeger and they're, you know, starting it up and everything else, it cre you know it creates a problem for their little. Uh, they were like in their own little town, hidden in this. If I remember, this rocky cove uh, until they were discovered by Kaiju, which destroyed and killed many of the people of the village and whatnot. Uh, and of course, her parents were telling them to run while they tried to hold off the the Kaiju in whatever way they could, because they didn't have any other Jaeger. It was just that one, Jaeger. Excuse me. <clears throat> so the kids go on through the rest of the first season. Uh, without parents, and they're having to like grow on around. Now we have a third individual, May, who they come across. Who I forget who her dad is, but he runs like this private mercenary group, uh, probably like scavengers or whatever. And they he sees that the the kids that the, the brother and sister have a, a, a Jaeger, and that he wants it. So he spends kind of his time trying to like chase him down and get this thing. And I forget, this is where I kind of get a little iffy on my memory, but the, the, the kids end up coming across uh, a young boy who doesn't speak. And I forget where they find him, but Haley takes a, a close kinsmanship to him to protect him or whatever. By the end of the season one, we find out the boy has somehow has kaiju DNA in him. So he's able to transform into a huge kaiju, which at first is kind of attacking them uh, now season two starts at that point where they've kind of like entrapped him under a bunch of boulders and everything and Taylor is a little bit more angry about it. he doesn't trust the kaiju obviously and you know Haley is still sees the kaiju as the little boy so she's touching it and talking to it and trying to create this emotional bond with it and so it's drawing tension between Taylor and his sister now, I, weirdly enough, the kaiju, once it settles down and recognizes her, transforms back into the boy. 
uh, but he has like one red eye, one blue eye, or whatever, and a little bit of a scar. Uh, so they spend most of season two trying to protect him because they find out there's this cult group called the Sisters of the Kaiju, and um, you know they're they're very creepy. They they got these masks that are like sunken in eye sockets, so it's like. You can't see, uh, they look dead almost, but they they have robes on, and it's very uh, very creepy for animated uh, series like that, so it's kind of a cool effect. Uh, they somehow are able, to, I guess they somehow have kaiju blood in them, but they don't transform like this kid did. So, but they have a connection with the kaiju where they can kind of like motion them or guide them to where they want the kaijus to go. So they have, they, they treat the kaiju is like God, so they're after the boy because he's like the hybrid. He can he's both human and kaiju, and they consider him the messiah. <clears throat> so they're spending the time uh, trying to get the boy. Now, the the brother and sister they're all trying to get to and May, of course. May's like this third party who they picked up from the other guy, and of course I said about the May's father who's still chasing him for the Jager. Uh, but there's a lot of reveals in this season uh, regarding most of the characters all the way around. Uh, we find out, you know, just different people that are involved and how they're involved. I'm not going to give too much away in that regard, but uh, even if you like the live-action films, you'll probably really love the animation. Um, I think the only problems I have, and it's probably the same ones that Daniel had in his article, is that because they were using this as the final season, it's kind of rushed a little bit. I think it's only seven episodes. So I could have probably used like 10 or 12 to kind of like flesh it out a bit. But, uh, and the other, some of the other stuff that I don't like, and it's, it's again, no one's fault, but, because I know they have to like drive the story a certain way in order for it to ultimately make sense at its conclusion. But I sit there and I say to myself, like, you have an opportunity to kill your enemy and you don't utilize it. Like, it's like you have them right where you want them. They're not protected, yet you chose to a different decision, which allows your enemy to stay alive and chase you down some more. So uh, for those who have watched this, you probably know what scenes I'm talking about, but I'm just kind of like... Well, you know what the problem is right there. Why not just take care of it? <laughs> you have the advantage. Uh, but they don't. And so, again, it's probably because it's how it's written. And they want it to the end a certain way. There has to be, like, certain confrontations and, you know, certain reveals and everything else. So I, I kind of get it on that level. But at the same time, for me, if I'm that particular character in that series, in that movie or whatever, I'm like... Oh no, I'm not dealing with this down the road. I'm going to go ahead and just snuff it out right here. I have the means and the ability to do that. But it's a great series. A lot better than the movies for me personally. Uh, it's a lot of fun. The kaijus are very cool. They got a lot of different variations of them in there. Uh, there's even like, they always go by, um, what do they call it? Category, you know, one through whatever. And they, they one of them is like a category six which is a pretty big deal. So uh, we have a, a interaction down the road with a Category 6 Kaiju. So it's very cool. Uh, I know in the past people have talked about maybe 
trying to cross over Legendary's Godzilla universe into the Pacific Rim stuff. Sometimes people are like, well, you can't really do it because the timelines are different. I'm like, you know, does it really matter at this point? Like, we just found there's like a, basically a hidden earth in the middle of the earth uh, where Kong lives. So it's like, you can almost do anything you want. And it doesn't really matter because as kaiju and godzilla fans we love these type of moves anyway so really it'd be kind of cool to have that crossover on some level it doesn't even have to be like aliens or anything else involved it could just be whatever you can make it whatever you want um but it'd be kind of cool uh okay so we opened up the show with organ trail uh brand new stuff for them doing the flesh parade cover provided by horror pain uh productions I haven't had a chance to listen to that entire record, but the, the quick you know rundown that I went through it, I'm going to get to it more next week when I get to go through the album a little bit deeper, but it sounded really fucking good. Same thing with this next band starting the next block, Troops of Doom. Uh, obviously, their name is based off a Sepultura song. Uh, they also have a very strong record, but again, I chose a cover to start this next block just because, not only because it's a Sepultura cover, but... It's uh, it's an older one that not many people hear a lot of times when Sep's cover because it's mostly the Max error, you know, in terms of like just Max singing and whatnot, but uh, and Andreas and all them. But this is more with Jio uh, uh, Gudez, I think, is the original guitarist of that group. Let me get Jero Gudez, something like that. I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name, but the original guitarist from Bestial Devastations and Morbid Visions is actually guesting on this song with uh, Troops of Doom playing Necromancer. Also got some Ice Age in there as well. Brand new stuff from Traitor uh, provided by Vlad, my boy. So here's Troops of Doom, Necromancer kicking off our next block. Yeah. 
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. So, a few days ago, uh, my boy Kevin Tarrant uh, recommended a movie for me to check out on Tubi, which Neko and I have been Tubi people for quite a long time. Like, we got our first Roku from our from her parents for Christmas one year back in probably 2008 or nine, somewhere in there. And I knew nothing of the device back then, and but when... I saw what the possibility was in the apps, and I'm like, you know, Netflix and everything else. I was like, wow, this is an amazing device. Now, some people, of course, swear by, like, fire sticks, which all kind of do similar things. But uh, even now, I think Neko and I still just use Roku's. We really like them. Now, granted, one of the problems, and this is, like, technology in general with computers and stuff, you always have to upgrade. Like, we have... Some Roku's that are basically five to ten years old, and even though they they do sort of their own system updates, because technology changes so much, you actually can only go so far with those Roku. So, if you're someone who has like a Roku from like five or six years ago, well, it'll work, but it will. You can tell that it will drag and not respond as well as it should because the software can only go so far with it. So then, as with everything else, you got to go and buy an upgraded version of it. And that sometimes happens with computers as well. Like, you know, Neck and I have done that. We utilize our computers the best we can for as long as we can, but then there just comes a time, like the one I have now that I'm using for this, Neko was like, you know, you need to get something that can just handle the memory and everything else. And she's right, because just over a period of time, things get outdated. And computers are no different. And same thing with Roku's and everything else. But, like I said, the, the cool thing about the Roku was it opened up our world to a lot of different stuff. It wasn't just Netflix. You were able to find uh, music streaming sites, uh, sports, you know, whatever. And now, like everyone, as we see, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Hulu, all these companies, Amazon, they're all creating their own apps so they can stream their own shit. They saw what Netflix was doing. And it's really kind of like, even though I read an article recently, I'm going off tangent here a little bit, but I read an article recently that Netflix is kind of struggling right now because they've kind of hit their plateau. But I give so much credit to Netflix, and this is going back, have you ever seen a documentary about Blockbuster and all that, uh, or even Netflix itself? Because uh, there's a couple out there that they, they both kind of cross over a little bit, talk about the effect that Netflix had. Netflix was so far ahead of everyone else. It's almost like they were like Marvel before Marvel. Like they just, they saw what was happening and they adapted to it where you talk about uh, organizations and companies like Blockbuster or Hollywood Video. They didn't respond. They kept trying to do the same thing for going on and on and on. Whereas everything was changing over to the streaming platforms. So, and this is something about like music too. Like we don't see as many music stores or even if you go to a best buy now their cd uh collections are not that huge like they'll still have them and they'll still have vinyls but 
they're not as large as they used to be. Like the tower records of the old day and everything else, they're, they're gone. Like everything now is all like on the web, and you can love it or hate it, but that's just where we are as a society. And so the Roku allows us to do that. And Tubi is this free app. For those that don't know, it's a free app on Roku's. Probably Fire Sticks too, and everything else. If you have a Roku TV, that will, we have one of those. Uh, you could just install the app for free. It has ads, which you know, and it does have. I think they do have a premium service now, but like, I'm not paying for that. Like, the ads don't even last that long, and maybe four or five at the most. But uh, the movie selection, and granted, this is all like you know between A and D grade movies like it has a lot of like your you know the the stuff that people frown upon like a lot of the B and C grade stuff but if you're like Neko and I and a lot of the people that we talk with on the web and hang with this is our kind of shit <laughs> now Kevin came to me and he says look you know there's this movie Titanic 666 on Tubi I think it's good you should check it out now I'm going to be a precursor to this before I do the review because and it's no offense to Kevin or anybody else. I, I've watched so many horror movies over my lifetime that, like, some stay with me or stick with me while others kind of just pass through me because, like, I just can't find any redeeming quality out of them. Uh, that doesn't mean that I can't find some good things in or bad things. It just means that I've seen so many shit that, like, finding movies that stand out to me and you know really hit me deep is very rare very rare uh so i'm gonna go into the plot synopsis of titanic 666 and then i'm just gonna give you my thoughts on it basically uh i think it's like 100 years after the sinking of the original titanic uh humanity decided to make titanic 3 a new ship and the captain is played by Keisha Sharp, who plays Celeste Rhodes. Uh, she's a, a black woman captain who's uh, commanding the ship. Uh, of course, it has all these VIP uh, passengers that are going on this voyage. It's almost kind of the same feeling as the original one where you had high-class and lower-class people. But mainly, it's just I think this voyage is just high-class. People who have a lot of money reason for that is you have a gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, he's the one that went and recovered all these missing items from the original Titanic on the seafloor. So, like, necklaces, uh, violins, just random stuff he found in the ocean. He's bringing them to the, the voyage on this new Titanic 3 uh, to try to auction them off to all these high-bidding people. And so he's kind of a, he gets called out by a young woman who sneaks on the ship via a luggage bag, which no one checks, of course, but she's in the, she comes out from a bag inside the uh, a baggage compartment of the ship, uh, confronts uh, this guy uh, who uh, is trying to sell these items, and she's like, you know, you stole from sacred ground. It's almost like the whole Native American burial ground shit, right? So, she calls him out, and then, of course, she gets escorted away, and they let her go, whatever. They don't even check to see if she even belongs on a ship, of course. <laughs> this is some of the plot holes, but... Uh, 
So then we have a bunch of like people on the ship, random. Uh, we have a couple. There's a couple there. Um, Mia, who's played by Anna Lynn McCord, and her husband, whose actor's name I forget and character name I forget, uh, Jackson, I think is his name, played by Derek Yates. Uh, they're influencers, uh, media influencers. So they've got their own YouTube channel, Instagram, and all that stuff. And so they're already recording by the time they arrive. Like they're just doing their phone selfies and talking into their uh, live streams while they're doing this. And uh, I will say that Anna Lynn McCord is probably the best one who's acted in this, uh, along with Keisha Sharp. <clears throat> the rest of them are kind of forgettable in terms of acting ability, but again, we're dealing with like a basically, I, would, I wouldn't even really put this in the B category. This is more of a C or D uh, type movie for me. But uh, anyway, as we go along the voyage here, uh, they start, the, the woman that I talked about, um, played by uh, Lydia Hurst, who, uh, she's the one that was calling out the uh, the guy about the items he was trying to auction off. So she's in, like, the, the bow of the ship. Like, she's now doing some weird shit, ritual shit. She's conjuring ghosts and... You know, at first the media influencers come across her and they're filming her, but then they get too weirded out and leave. They don't even watch the remaining part of it. But we find out that Lydia's character is related to the old captain of the Titanic. Um, so she's apparently trying to raise the dead to kind of like send a message about what has been done to disturb the resting place of the original Titanic and. So obviously you get the point that we have a bunch of ghosts that they run around the ship killing people. <coughs> now, uh, in terms of the aesthetic of the ghosts themselves, they look pretty good. Like you know, you got the sunken black eyes, which is very creepy. Again, something I mentioned about the sisters of the kaiju, sim similar to that. Uh, but much like this article I was reading, it, it starts to become a problem for me because. When the ghosts start to attack, one you one you probably see the ghosts a little bit too much. You see a little bit of the flickering that you would see in like uh, the movie Thirteen Ghosts, with a kind of like stop motion and move around. Uh, you probably don't need a lot of that. But what makes it worse is when they go to do their attack onto whatever person they're with. It's their jaws kind of like lower and open, almost like if you ever saw the Mummy with Brandon Fraser, uh, how the mummies would like their jaws would just kind of drop and look kind of silly. That's what we got going on here. Uh, in a lot of ways, they could have left the ghost uh, invisible when they attacked, and it would probably have been more effective uh, in terms of the kills. But, I don't know, they just had some weird shit going on with the frost coming out of their mouth, and I, I don't know, it just didn't really work for me in that matter. Um, I mean, story-wise, it's okay. I mean... You know, it's surprising that even in real life we haven't reattempted to create a new Titanic, but maybe that's because, you know, we really aren't trying to be assholes. We're not trying to capitalize on the deaths of, of thousands of people who died in the original Titanic uh, tragedy. But that's sort of the message that's kind of being conveyed here, but the, the movie is kind of disjointed at times. Um, it took a while for even to figure out why... Lydia Hurst's character was doing the ritual to begin with. Like, we didn't know why she was there and why she was doing this. And she actually kind of comes off as an asshole, you know, through most of this film. But, you know, 
it's, it's really weird. Yeah, it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and then on top of that, like the the purpose, you know, she cares about the you know the 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 deaths of the people, her grandfather, great grandfather, whatever, uh, who was the captain originally, and all that, but. She doesn't care that innocent people who are on the ship are also going to die among the people that she has a, a, an issue with. You know what I'm saying? So it's like there's this uncaring about everyone else on the ship. Because, you know, people that show up on a ship, they're not really there to be disrespectful. Like, they have really no idea until it's too late that the shit that's going on. Only, only the guy who brought the items on board and one other dude who I won't name who was in on it, uh, you know, those are the guys that are the assholes. That's where, that's where your anger should be leveled at. But then she's doing this thing. The ghosts are just basically sinking the ship again for a second time. Uh, now, when it comes to the end, you know, it gets kind of predictable a little bit. Um, but you know, it, again, it's the type of movie that it is. It's uh, Kevin said he really enjoyed it. It's fine. Uh, like I said, I've seen a lot of these movies like this, so it's like a dime a dozen with me for this. Uh, so I've not seen any kind of new ground here. Uh, it's very rare when a movie, especially one that's got a low budget like they do, uh, it's very rare when it can stand out to me. And that's not me trying to be the elitist. It's just. Like I said, I've seen so many fucking horror films, dude. It's it's very rare that any film will stand out to me. In fact, probably within the last 15 or 20 years, and Neca will uh, agree with me on this in terms of my own behavior with horror movies, is that I've gone back to a lot of the old 70s and 80s films, and I've bought those DVDs because they've already... Those were the ones that kind of set the, the standard for what we see today. The only difference is uh, special effects and... Uh, I hate to say character development because horror films very rarely have that, but just they, just for the time that those films were made, it stood out more than it does now. Now it's like any Joe Schmo can go pick up a handy cam and go make a movie, and it seems kind of just doesn't click with me very much. Like it's like everybody can do it, so why not? And then you know sometimes you get some lucky. I mean, obviously. A guy like Robert Regas, who when he did uh, El Mariachi for fifteen grand. I mean, those are the kind of rarities that you like, but it, they don't happen that often. So, to make a horror film stand out, it's got to be really kind of original on its own, and also have uh, just better everything. And so, this film tries its best to do it, but it doesn't really hit the mark. I mean, I'd give it a C grade. Which is about where I would say it goes. Um, you can check it. It's a Tubi original, and that's the thing that we've noticed now more with Shutter and some of these other streaming sites, Amazon. They're all doing their own stuff now uh, because they don't want to rely on paying uh, money to these other uh, companies like you know Warner Brothers. You don't want to have to pay a bunch of money just to air their content on your streaming service. This is one thing that Netflix chose not to do, so they no longer had all those cool movies from stars or uh, epics and stuff like that because they just didn't want to pay the royalties to that. They wanted to create their own content, which it worked, 
Uh, but like I said, that article said they were kind of at a standstill now of where to go with it. Um, but Tubi now, you know, they're doing pretty much what Shutter is and everyone else. They're creating their own stuff. Uh, now, how they're getting their income, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure they have some premium users, but I can't imagine it's a, like a lot because unlike um, Midnight Pulp, which is another app on the Roku, uh, Midnight Pulp has a lot of cool shit too. The only difference is if you're, you can't watch half of their movies because you have to be a premium member to do so. Uh, so that's how they kind of lock out people on that. Tubi doesn't do that. Tubi will let you watch whatever you want. You just have to deal with ads, and so, but that's not really a big deal because the Roku channel app, as well as uh, was it um, something crack, uh, crackle? That's what it was. Uh, crackle has the same thing. You can watch whatever you want, but you just have if you want to take the ads out, you got to pay whatever premium price they want you to pay, which most people probably don't. That's just too much shit to worry about. I mean, Hulu, Sling. Uh, they're the ones that are kind of cornering that market because they offer TV. Now, Pluto's good. If, you, if you're if you someone who likes watching just regular TV shows and movies that are being broadcasted, uh, they do have ads as well. But Pluto is a great alternative to Hulu and everything else. You just can't get, like, you won't be able to get the NFL on there and stuff like that. But definitely if uh, for Kevin, if he hasn't heard of it, Pluto is a good way to go for TV, old classic TV, as well as, uh, movies like they have like three or four different horror channels and action channels and for a while they even had a James Bond channel so uh, definitely check that out if you have not um, there was one jump scare moment in the movie that got me even though I fucking saw it coming it still fucking got me so kudos to Titanic 666 for pulling that one off because I, I was expecting it and, just, and I said that's not going to get me and he still fucking got me like, it, it jump scare, dude. Fuck me, dude. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, C-grade movie for me. I'm not that crazy about it. I won't probably watch it again just because it's, you know, once was enough for me. Uh, the article writer, though, because um, they had similar issues with it that I did. But they said that there was a better example. I don't know if Kevin's ever seen it, but. Uh, it's called Deadstream. I have to try to hunt that down. They said that was like another movie kind of in this vein, but just better written or better executed. So I'll be kind of interested to see if it really is that way or not because, uh, like I said, the article writer felt like that one was a better uh, option to this. So we'll see. All right. Into our next block of music. Uh, got some brand new stuff from Abated Massive Flesh, Disembodied. Uh, here's some brand new stuff by Pharmacist, uh, provided by Carcosa PR, Accelerating Separation.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite comic breeding lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. About that time for the rock block. Today we have Backbone, a Night Stalker, which cool thing about Night Stalker is they remind me a little bit of Monster Magnet and Clutch. So you might hear that when you hear the song Go Get Some that I'm gonna play for you. Uh, I got some Rock Goddess, Aluna, as well as Semblant. And uh request from Neko to kick it all off. And I believe it was yesterday because She's like eight hours ahead of me from where she's at right now, so she wanted to hear some Earth Day from Devin Townsend. So thus, our request will kick it off. Here's Earth Day, Devin Townsend, and here we go.
coming, folks.
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics who do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you would find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
experience Disillusion, the final frontier A compilation of dreams It's not what it seems Admire a gallery of broken memories
We're Torify from Victoria, BC. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Stay thrashing. back gonna talk a little about the northman 2022 directed by robert eggers who is also responsible for lighthouse as well as the witch the witch um movie stars uh alexander skarsgård who plays amleth uh anya taylor joy who plays olga i actually have a appearance by bjork uh Artist, musician, New York, uh, playing a Cirrus. Uh, William Defoe is Hamir the Fool, and Nicole Kidman is Queen Caldrune. Um, basically, the movie is about Prince Emleth is on the verge of becoming a man when his father is brutally murdered by his uncle, who kidnaps the boy's mother. Two decades later, Emleth is now a Viking who raids Slavic villages, and he soon meets a Cirrus who goes on to tell him what his mission is or his destiny is to uh, avenge his father's death and save his mother uh this is a very good movie it's a little slow at times but right now i think judging by egger's type of directing it's expected like he has these like he, he likes to sort of play these things out a little bit but it's not always action-packed right away but certainly when the moments hit they hit hard um, acting is very good in this. I believe Clay's Bang is the one that plays uh, Fionor, who is uh, Ethan Hawke's brother. So Ethan Hawke plays uh, King uh, Alvinelli. I forget. I forget how to pronounce that. But he's he's MLS father. So. As I discussed, Fionor ends up killing his brother. Uh, kidnapping the the wife Nicole Kidman's character Queen Godrun for himself, and this at this point Amleth is a very he's like maybe a twelve year old boy, so he's trying to escape, and because uh, he he actually watches this unfold in front of him, so he sees his br uh, dad's brother kill him, and then try to kill him the son. Uh, there's another character who catches the boy uh, and attempts to cut off his hair. He's talking shit or something, but uh, the boy at a young age, he takes his knife that air dagger he has and he cuts his dude's nose off who is left bleeding while he runs away. That's how Amleth gets away uh, initially in the movie. <clears throat> so fast forward 20 years later, uh, Amleth is now part of that, like I said, this group where they raid cities and villages and stuff and he's actually one of the 20 berserkers they send in first uh i always found that fascinating with you know berserkers and northmen and vikings and whatnot so they go in they have like no fucking fear like they're just dead on warriors and like there's this really cool scene i think it's in a trailer too they're initially sneaking up on this village and somebody throws like a javelin or something at him he catches it and turns around throws it right back and hits the dude <laughs> killing them instantly and so they climb up and raid and then uh after they're done after they're done destroying this village and taking the slaves that they want uh 
he comes across in the middle of the night uh, in a, one of the burned down, abandoned uh, houses that uh, the Cirrus, who's played by Bjork, uh, begins to tell him that his destiny is to go kill the uncle. That's like his path. And I guess at some point, Amleth had kind of forgotten about that part of it. Like he'd been so... Uh, so enthralled with like his current status as a berserker that he just didn't go back and take care of business so but now he's realizing oh i've got to go handle this uh so what he does is he ends up sneaking out away from the the group cut his hair a little bit uh he burns like a, a symbol from it looks like a, a slave mark so he just why it was around there to begin with i don't know but he basically just takes the hot pope, uh, hot stick and, you know, puts the emblem and burns himself with it and make him look like a slave. And uh, sneaks aboard a, a, a ship that was leaving with other slaves. Now, these slaves aren't uh, Nordic, I don't think. I think they might have been part of the, the village they just raided. Uh, but those slaves there actually has uh, Anna Taylor-Joy's character, Olga, in there as well. She recognizes that he uh, is not who he looks like he is. So she's kind of like, you can't fool me, Northman. I can see by your demeanor that you're a Northman Viking or whatever. And, of course, it's raining at this point. So the rest of the, the actual soldiers and groups were in their little hut at the end of the, the ship. And they're staying covered while... All the slaves are outside in the rain, so you know he's ready to like kind of like kill these dudes, or at least he's just pretending or whatever. And she's like, "Whatever you got planned, just now is not the time." So they get to their destination, and this is after he's already learned that the guy that he's looking for, the Fionnor, the brother, uh, who had killed his dad to actually take over the kingsmanship of the kingdom they were in, at least the city they were in. And But shortly after, apparently, Harold uh, Fairhair came and took it from him. So he was basically forced to flee to Iceland and uh, have his own little village there. So the other, the other Viking that was telling... Uh, Amleth this was saying that, you know, it was kind of funny that he killed his brother to have to be the king, but then shortly after that was stripped from him too, so it was all for nothing. <laughs> so the uh, the ship that they're on takes them to Iceland. They're, they're actually slaves that are being brought to Filnor. And uh, so what Amleth has planned is he's going to portray himself as a slave and, of course, exact his revenge when he's ready. Uh... <laughs> Obviously, by the visions that the Cirrus gave him, you know, he has to kind of wait for a certain time and the certain signs that show how he's going to exact his revenge and what the process is, what's going to happen. And uh, so Olga, though, has, like, said, look, you know, you might have the brawn and the strength, but I have the cunning to handle this, too. And so they kind of become a team at that point, and a little bit more than that afterwards because obviously they hook up and make love and all that good stuff. And uh, Now I can't, because it's so early in the, the movie's release, I can't get into too many spoilers. Um, but I'm going to say this. Uh, 
some of the characters in this film are not who they say they are. <laughs> there are reveals that happen at the end of the movie that you're like, oh. Now, one of them I kind of expected, but, you know, I wasn't really sure until it actually happened. So, in that way, I kind of saw that coming. Now, I don't know if it's just because of the particular actor involved that I just, you know, kind of knew. But, I don't know. It, it was just something I expected, and it, it did come to fruition. Uh, the violence is top-notch. In fact, um, Finner, who's the guy who's also nicknamed the Nose Stub, uh, he's the one that uh, Ameth as a boy cut the nose off the arm to get away. He's an older version of himself as one of the soldiers in Fenrir's uh, little army there. They don't have a big village. It's really just probably, I don't know, maybe... 10 or so soldiers, including Filnor, who's the, the leader of the group. And then you have the rest of them are just slaves. And uh, Stubnose is one of the soldiers there. So I'll just say that his death scene at the hands of Amleth is fucking crazy cool. <laughs> uh, I, I was like, just like in disbelief. I'm like, wow. That is some shit right there because they don't pan away from it. And I know, it's all fake, obviously, but the way they shot that, dude, is fucking amazing. And it really is effective. Uh, obviously, <clears throat> the negatives for me in this is that there are certain things about the fighting with Amleth kind of left me... Left me kind of unimpressed a little bit, especially for a guy who early in the film was a berserker. Like, he, he really seemed like such a better fighter in early in the film as opposed to what happened later. So I was kind of disappointed in that. Um, now, I know that the film is because of the, the vision and the path that he's on that there's a, there's a certain thing that's going to happen that needs to happen in order to complete that. So I expected that much of it, but I guess I just, overall, I, I would have played out some of that stuff a little bit differently myself. Um, but that's just me, you know. Uh, but it doesn't take away from the film at all. The film is very good. It's shot very well. Eggers has a great eye for cinematography and how he lays it out for you. It's always, you know, he likes these darker... Uh, atmospheric shots. Uh, the I was watching a, a YouTube video of both um, Taylor and uh, Skarsgård talking about the movie, and it was really rainy a lot and muddy. And but they, you know, they said it was cold. So like, you know, there was a point where Taylor said, you know, they were standing in like mid knee mud, and she's like. Can we already shoot this scene? And, you know, Director Eckers is like, yeah, okay, because Anya's probably getting antsy over there. <laughs> you know, let's get the shot. So, clearly, you know, they were out there when... And Iceland can be pretty cold and stuff like that, depending on the year. Uh, I'm not sure what part of Iceland they were in. I don't think it was Reykjavik or anything like that, but uh, certainly that was a nice... Uh, effect that he had with the atmosphere and the shots and the, the overcast and everything else. Uh, very few sunny days there. Um, 
but like I said, the violence is cool. There's actually a very cool scene where Amleth uh, actually gets a hold of uh, a sword. And uh, it's actually one of the few... I mean, granted, we're, we're dealing with Vikings and, you know, believers in Odin and, and gods and Valhalla. And, you know, you have a seer who her eyes were taken from her, but she was... Uh, She's creepy looking at herself, but like, you know, we, we're doing sort of like the supernatural, spiritual aspect of Norman. And so, the scene where Amleth is actually getting his weapon of choice is fucking cool. But it has like a supernatural element to it. Uh, and actually, kind of remind me, and I don't know about some of you others who have seen this film yet, but. That particular scene reminds me almost of Conan the Barbarian when he jumps into the little cavern when he first uh, gets freed as a slave. And he's avoiding the dogs that are chasing him. And he's like, that's where he finds his weapon and believes that it's from Krom. Uh, this is a similar vibe with that. A uh, little bit different how it plays out, but uh, it just reminded me so much of that uh, that moment. So I'm sure it probably reminded a few other people as well. Uh, just a great film, though. Um, let's see. Is there anything else in here I need to talk about? No, I think that's about... Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Um, William Dafoe is in this as well. He plays a smaller role, like I said, with the, the full... Uh, it's funny how well he plays a role even when he's not in the movie for most of it. So, like... He has a very small part in this film, but when he does and he's on screen, he commands it. It's fucking insane how good he is. Like, I've always been a Defoe fan, but like I would say within the last 20 years, like the roles he has had over time have just gotten better and better. He's just so good. Like Him and Pattinson in Lighthouse, amazing. And it doesn't matter what Defoe is doing. No matter the character, he always brings a life to it and like even for this smaller role same thing just so same thing so uh yeah so um Kidman and Taylor Joy they look beautiful in this uh both are glowing uh I have no I don't think it's a stunt double for two, uh, Anya Taylor but uh you won't see so much the front of her, um, but you're gonna see from behind it. Boy, she's she's a looker. <laughs> Very beautiful. Um, but I think you do see a little bit of the top when she rolls over when she's laying next to Amleth. But either way, like just she's so good as an actress. Like I become more and more impressed with her ever since I saw The Witch. Like I didn't even know who she was when I saw The Witch, and then all of a sudden she was becoming more of a household name after that. So going to this, you know, despite some of the other actors and actresses in the film, having her in it got me excited because I am a big fan of hers now. Uh, but yeah, just all around a really enjoyable film. Um, it's about two hours and something, some change. So it's it's, it's got enough of a fleshing out to get things done. It does like it gets slow, but it's not boring slow. It's just. It's like simmering cooking, you know, work, working its way up to the finale and everything else. And uh, like I said, though, with Hamlet and how some of the stuff plays out later in the film, I would have changed a little bit of how he acted plus how he fought. Uh, 
Uh, I just expected a little bit better at that point, I guess. I mean, I don't know if Eggers was just trying to make him a little more human. Um, but based upon everything we've learned about his character throughout the film, it's like the culmination of what came up, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know if I really feel the same way he does or would feel the same way he does at those moments. Uh, but anyway, 9 out of 10 for me. Uh, not going to do a YouTube on this because I just wanted to keep it for this particular podcast, but uh, I really uh, enjoyed this film and highly recommend it. Uh, Eggers is, again, like I made a list um, not too long ago on YouTube about my top five directors, mainly in the horror genre. Uh, Eggers is a part of that, so like, even though this is more action than anything, it's got some horror elements in it a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, he's quickly one of the better directors that are out there right now uh, making films. So, check it out. It's very good. Getting back into some music here. New stuff from uh, Drumatan. Uh, his Grand Celestial Nightmare as well. Tassie, provided by Bad Dog Productions. We've got Star Palace kicking off this next block.
Wolfshead. Outlaw. Do you fear me, boy? Why should I fear you? You're a man. I am your destiny. Her. Her and the hunter. Look at me. They are all waiting. The blinded, the maimed, the men locked in the stinking dark, all wait for you. Children with swollen bellies, hiding in ditches, wait. Poor, dispossessed, they all wait. You are their hope.
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, let's talk a little bit about some of my favorite records so far this year. I have a few already. Um, kind of started out slow this year, but it quickly picked up within the last couple of months. Uh, and we still have like half a year to go, so a little over half a year to go. So, But I've got about, what, three, six, nine records right now that I really like, and uh, I'm just going to quickly go over those. First one is a band called Needless out of Hungary. Uh, their recent album, um, The Cosmic Cauldron, is a, a mesh of thrash and death metal. And uh, I was really impressed with it. Very good uh, st song structures and writing. I uh, didn't know much about the band coming into this. They've only been around, well, they've been around since 2009, but I think their first full length, uh, Heresy, didn't get released till 2019. So. Still basically a younger band, but uh, very good nevertheless. Then we, um, the band Boris, which has been around since early 90s. I didn't even know they were around quite that long, but uh, they play everything. They're a little bit all, they're experimental. They sometimes do like alt rock, sometimes they do drone, ambient. Uh, but their latest release, uh, W, is a little bit of a mixture of all that. Uh, their band, uh, it's actually a trio out of Japan, and uh, very interesting band, no less. Uh, they've done some collaborations with Suno and stuff like that in the past, so that's kind of how I discovered them, and uh, through friends of mine who were aware of them. I believe Dane and Jason uh, were a couple of people that were into them before I was, so uh, certainly I didn't expect to like this album as much as I did, but... Uh, it's actually quite good, and it's already made my list for this year, so I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, next up is Accusator out of Finland, a thrash metal band. Uh, their debut record, full length, Trial by Fire. Fucking shreds, man. It's great stuff. Uh, really happy against. I always. This is why I kind of sit and go through some of these records, because you never know what you're going to find, and this is how I discover bands initially that I end up liking so uh, over the years it used to be I'd go into a record store and just buy CDs off a whim without even knowing what they sound like and occasionally you get lucky and a lot of times you don't uh, but this is the nice thing about preview and stuff before I play anything and they're one of those bands that I was happy to come across and I think she told uh, Crypt from Metal Mania about it as well and I think he's played them before so Accusator out of Finland. Then we have Father Befouled, a death metal band out of the United States, out of Georgia. And uh, been around since 2008. They have their newest release, uh, Crowned in Venificum. Uh, this is actually kind of the first time I've heard them, I believe. I, I don't recall ever really hearing much of this stuff previously but they have like one two three four other full lengths so they've been around for a little while 
Uh, I tried to get this one, I think, on cassette, but I don't think I was able to. Maybe I was. It may not have come yet, but either way, it's a really solid death metal record uh, if you're into that kind of stuff. Uh, then this record here, uh, Recollections of the Insane by Schizophrenia, also a uh, full, first full length from them out of uh, Belgium. A mixture of death and thrash metal. Uh, they are so good. Uh, I was really impressed with this. I know that Crypt had played them previously uh, a couple years before, like just airing out one of their videos or whatever and, and doing interviews with them. So uh, I kind of probably learned through them through him. Uh, and then when this full length got released, I was checking it out. I was like, this is some really quality shit. So be sure to check that out for you death and thrash metal fans. Uh, then we have a band out of Belgium, another band out of Belgium, a one-man project called uh, Ande, uh, Atmospheric Black Metal. Started in 2015. He has about four other records under his belt. I, I do, I am familiar with this project. Uh, I have, like, past records. Uh, the new one for this year, Vehemence, uh, is fucking awesome. Like, the guy knows how to create good atmosphere and great uh, hooks and... Uh, melodies and stuff like that with the atmospheric black metal stuff so he, he does exactly what I like with that type of music so uh, if you're in atmospheric black metal check out Andy it's A-N-D-E and uh, good stuff there then another death metal project out of Chile uh, called Rotten Tomb with their new stuff called Visions of Dismal Fate and uh, this is also a, another debut full length uh, from the band uh, they have some stuff they put out, like EPs and demos from 2016 and on, but as far as like a full, uh, full, full length, this is it. Uh, D Visions of Dismal Fate. Very cool death metal. I really enjoyed the hell of that record. Uh, then, of course, people should be familiar with Abath, uh, former lead singer of Immortal. Uh, he has his own black metal project under his own name. Uh, he started just back in 2016 uh, after his fallout with Immortal again. Uh, so he has his self-title from 2016. Then in 2019, he did Outstrider, uh, which, in fact, Mia Wallace, the bassist now for Novosa, played on that record. I think she might be playing on his uh, current tour as well for Dread Reaver, which is an amazing record. I know that... Um, Metal Archives with the reviews and stuff. They are not giving this album very favorable reviews uh, compared to the other two, but I, I, I actually like this record a lot. Uh, it had a lot of catchy hooks and stuff that I like and enjoyed. Uh, so Dread Reaver is the brand new stuff from Maboth. And then we have a band who I had not heard since 2009 in uh, Depressed Mode. Uh, their first two records from 2007 and 9, um, Ghost of Devotion and For Death, uh, those two records were fucking amazing. And I kind of thought they were just kind of gone from the scene altogether. And then, of course, this year they released, uh, released uh, Decade of Silence. And again, perfect record for me. So uh, despite all that time in between the last record and this one, like they didn't miss a beat in terms of quality of music. Hopefully it doesn't take them another 10 years to get another record out, but uh, the one thing I can't appreciate about bands like that is at least you're putting some thought behind it and you're not rushing shit out just for the sake of doing it. I come across bands sometimes, and mainly it's like, you know, a particular artist, not so much of a band band, but just one person who puts together stuff, and sometimes they'll release, like, 
a couple records a year or a record every year and it's I, I get kind of turned off by that just because like it's like dude um okay your first stuff that you release sounds pretty cool but then like you're just rushing shit out at this point it's like there's no point to that um put some thoughts behind it you know build up on something and you know give it some time to flesh out a little bit uh I know some people want to keep their names in the, the talking circles or whatever, but sometimes your music takes a hit because of that, because you're rushing shit out and not really letting that process in your mind and come together like it probably should. Uh, in this case, these guys probably waited five years too long. <laughs> you know, uh, Not that it's, it's a great record, obviously, but uh, ten years is a long time between a record, so... But who knows what the reasons are behind that. They could have had some member issues or whatever. But Depressed Mode, Decade of Silence is definitely another great record. And really, that's all I got to say on those. I mean, I'll be obviously giving an update as the year goes along with any more uh, albums that I find that I need to be heard and liked. And, of course, hopefully uh, Neko will be around at the end of the year to do the best of uh, when we play a track from each of those records and talk a little bit about more about them than we do right now. So... All right, into our next block of music, getting ready to come down and close this bitch out. Uh, provided by Everlasting Speed Records, lurking with a two-song EP. This is called Visions of Certain Death.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer. Hey, Beak and Zell, R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
got some, uh, the chapter there with Book of Life. And, uh, getting ready to call it a day here, although I think, I'm concerned, did we miss a song? Because I thought, nope, we're good, everything's good. Uh, so yeah, thank you all for tuning in as always, uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Neko right now should be back mid-May, um, but that's going to be kind of a busy week too, so I'm not sure right when she's going to get back into the swing of things because she tends to like to settle down a little bit for about a week or so, so you may not see her until more likely, probably early June, unless I try to do a show around late May, but because of Maryland Death Fest, uh, it's so so much going on between people coming and staying with us and us going to the shows that week that uh, doing a show the final week of May is almost non-existent. So you may not have a show with me and Neko till maybe early June at best. Like I said, though, uh, I'll have a show obviously before MDF and of course the weeks prior to that, but. Uh, as of now, I'm not sure when she's going to be jumping back into the fray. Anyhow, thank you all for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, check out those movies, whether you like them or not. Uh, let me know. And uh, got one last track, brand new stuff from Rivers of Blaze. It's called Vortex. And take care of yourselves.